My name is Lex Dad, and I'm a local Darug man. We share country up here in the Blue Mountains with the Gundangara people. I'd like to pay respects to our elders, both past and present. I'd like to pay respects to our young people who are our emerging elders. I'd like to pay respects to Pema Wianga, Mother Earth, and Father Sky, Biami. And I say in our link, local Darug language, Warami Mirega Darug Welcome, friends, to Darug country, and Yanana Budrigumara. May we all walk with good spirit, with patience, humility, and respect for one another. Didgeridgora, and thank you. Hello, welcome uh, to Paperback Writer, our show uh, that is about all things books. This is Catherine. And this is Zach. Um, Paperback Writer is a book show for all paperback writers and readers, featuring book reviews, interviews with local Australian and international authors, new releases, literary awards, novel ideas, and a lot of book-related puns. And uh, you just heard the uh, Welcome to Country by Uncle Lex, and we actually met him this week. It was the so funny. The amazing Uncle Lex. The How amazing cool is Uncle he? Lex. It was so funny because he started, it was at another event, and he started speaking, and Zach and I looked at each other and we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's Uncle Lex. That's very familiar. Voice. And we went up and said, oh my gosh, we use your, you know, we use your thing. And that's how we've learned, like, didgeridgara. And thank you. You know, <laughs> so it's really good. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's exciting. Did you want to talk a little bit about that event? Yeah, we actually, it's, it's to do with books. It is to do with books. Um, yeah. So it was with Connect Family Services. Yep. Connect CFS, I believe, is the yeah, yeah, yeah. Term. But um, yeah, yeah there are Connect Family Services CFS. <laughs> no, it's Connect CFS. Oh, yeah, Child oh, okay. and Family Services. Right, got it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with um, you. <laughs> um, they're a uh, fantastic um, children's services provider down in Hazelbrook, providing childcare facilities and that kind of thing. There's an outreach service there as well. Yeah. Wear mocks and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. They do some really um, cool stuff. But they were also um, uh, able to get some grant money recently um, for this incredible scheme to provide uh, a, a set of four books to local Blue Mountains families, um, and particularly families who uh, were impacted by COVID lockdowns. So yeah. that the children um, didn't have the same access as children normally do to. Um, being taught to read um, mm. you know, and access to even just being able to go to libraries and things like that to get books during lockdown. Well, and I think as well, there's, there's sort of an uh, assumption that, you know, parents know what to do mm. with kids when they're reading books, but it's so much more than just reading the words, you know. It's about, hey, do you see the ball? And, mm. you know, what colour is the ball? And that kind of thing. So it came with, um, the four books came with uh, a little booklet that sort of taught mm. parents and encouraged parents on, on how to, engage and interact with their kids while reading the book so whether they're a baby or a toddler or older you know and i, I it was oh, it's fantastic and the books are i mean you know we're we're biased because we, we were you know we were lucky enough to be part of this project too um our bookshop rosie Riverstone books mm. um which is at naughty studios the co-working space in hazelbrook we're a small part of it but we we're able to source um three of the books that uh of the four books that were required yeah um, for the launch which was fantastic and so we were invited to the um the uh, launch of the event as well, which was just very 
inspirational and humbling yeah. I think too yeah. yeah and it was all about the research and you know the importance of early child literacy but not just you know the words are important also the the pictures are important and mm. this is why and you know the stats and the figures and they had um you know I think they partnered with WSU and mm. um, I mean the books themselves there you know there was um one that sort of was bilingual with Darug and English mm. uh, there was one P for per- Permaculture which is by Sharon Baldwin she's a Blue Mountains local I uh, love Sharon Baldwin and yep. Loose Pass Press yeah down in um uh, well, I think Lawson now. Lawson, yeah. 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 Well, we've got a few of her books, The Gardeners. Um, yeah, f- fantastic children's books, especially mm. about gardening and sustainability <laughs> and permaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, books about being a, having an imagination mm-hmm. and, and dreaming and being who you want to be. And then another one about how to... Have a conversation when you're not sure what to say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which, Thanks for um, jumping in. I was that's all <laughs> right. Because I had a feeling you weren't sure what to say then, so... Yeah. <laughs> and it was just such a wonderful event, you know, because yeah. I, uh, who doesn't want to get behind early childhood literacy, you know, mm. and, and giving, um, you know, so they, they're giving over 900 families in the Blue Mountains mm. four of these free books with this guide yeah. and the, the extra support um, to be able to help kids because they found, you know, a lot of kids were coming to school and they didn't have a lot of the basics reading um, mm. uh, skills. So really, really excited to be a part of that. Um, yeah, and you think about how busy life is in general, not just with all the COVID lockdowns and things like that, but... Um, you know, just trying to, to earn a living and to raise children. And it, I think what you said before is true. You kind of take for granted um, what it takes to actually read a book to a child. It's not mm. just reading the words on a page, but actually getting the child actively engaged with yeah. the book and building that that love of reading. Oh, um, my niece is, is like that. She won't let um, my brother read anymore. She <laughs> he, If he tries to read, she shushes him and she's like, no, I'm reading to you now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she there you go. can't you know, read fully, but she just kind of makes it up yep. and it's really cute. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I, I was thinking about you know, Amiculus and, you know, a lot of the refugee families we work with as well, mm. you know. Um, so what's Amiculus? Amiculus, the Humble Friend Project. Uh, it's a um, charity um, based, uh, well, I mean, all over, but most of the work is with the Rohingya community. In uh, Sydney. In, in Lakemba, in mm. Sydney. Um, but not just that exclusively. Mm. Um and yeah, a lot of the the children that that um, that the team were working with had never owned a book before, and these were kids like older kids, like mm. eleven or twelve. They'd never owned a book, um, and then you think about well, if their parents don't speak English very well because you know they've had to flee their countries, and you know they're coming with their home language but not you know uh, English, mm. it's quite difficult for them to be able to read alongside these kids. You know, often the kids will yeah. be teaching them, and yeah, so that's right. um, you know, but. I, Books, I mean, obviously we think books are important, owning a bookshop, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, especially, um, you know, at, at a young age as well. And, and I love when kids come into our shop and they're just nerding out over the books. Yeah. It makes me so happy. <laughs> it's not It's not even about um, reading so much, but it's just about building imagination and creativity. Exactly. And it's about... Uh, questioning things as well and yeah. you know developing th- certain thought processes that's the thing like why do we think the bear looks sad yeah. you know yeah. it's there's so much to it mm. and there's so many good children's books out there too like there's oh, really there funny are, yeah. ones and um you know but ones about you know kindness and welcoming and um inclusivity and you know be, I, I don't know it, it's nice yeah and plus we, we got one recently about farting koalas too that I need that's to have true a look at, there's a which i haven't gone through yet <laughs> and there's the one with the mole with the poo on his head have you ever seen that one what say that again no you heard right a mole a mole like you know the underground yeah. animal and he has a poo on his head i think uh, yeah and he just okay. it's a great story and he just runs around with a poo on his head and obviously other things happen that but. does not sound like a real book to me 
Google it. Really? It's a I'm real not Googling book. mole with poo on its no, head. No, it's, it's illustrated. It's that's, not... that's just going to completely stuff up my Google algorithm. <laughs> right away. I think I actually think you'll like the book. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really fun book. But that's, you know, I mean, think about some of the books we've sold in the shop. What is that? Zombie bums from Uranus yep. or something. Like yep. there's some odd. Yep. But, you know, when you're a kid, you <laughs> love that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, even when you're an adult to some extent. So oh, I'll get you the mole book the for adult. Christmas. Yeah, thank you. That sounds good. <laughs> Um, yeah, cool. Because well, you're a mole. <laughs> my favourite Australianism. Or second favourite. Come on, that's a big call, your favourite Australianism. No, my first, my first favourite is uh, acting like a couple of pork chops. <laughs> <laughs> how do you act like a pork chop? Like that's you just lie there on yeah. a barbecue? Yeah. I remember how amazed you were when you heard someone say they were going to get on the blower. Yeah. And you had no idea what they were no talking idea. about. Yeah. No idea. No oh, idea. So and it still doesn't make sense because you don't blow on a telephone anyway. Well, you speak, which means air is blowing out of your mouth. So oh, I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. It's a stretch, to it's, be fair. But <laughs> I think that you're um, a few, few. you've got a few roos loose in your top paddock. I had to think about yeah, that one. Yeah, you got there eventually. I that know. Was, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. Flame and Drongo. Flame and Drongo. Um, well, we'll talk about what we're Have reading. Have I been? I've been flat out like a lizard drinking. Yeah, I do like that one. That's a good that's one. That's a good one, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we'll play a couple of songs. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll come back and have a chat about what we've been reading over the last couple of weeks. Um, just for anyone who... Uh, is unsure with actually to, to our dear listener out there um, we've moved to fortnightly broadcast as well so we're um, sharing our former weekly slot with our amazing uh, friend and poet Madison, Madison who's now That's doing a two-hour poetry show every second um, Wednesday um, from 12 to 2 so yeah, yeah so Madison one week and then ours the next and yep. it's such a good show it is and, and it's a, a so real is Madison's <laughs> nice um, it's a real mix of it's like there's a lot of contemporary poetry, but there's some older stuff too, and some sort of funny, some sad, some beautiful, some poignant. Yeah, it's uh, Madison's got a real way of um, bringing poetry to life, I think, um, and yeah. also also just the, her voice is so well suited to radio too. Um, and when you listen to the smooth sound. <laughs> I don't think she's done show. that yet. We need to get Madison to do one. Maybe of those. We'll, what's her shock jock name? Uh, let's we'll, Rado we'll, Meadow. We'll, <laughs> She'll love it. Yeah, maybe not. Radisson. Maybe not. Um, anyway, <laughs> so yes, every every couple of weeks uh, you'll be listening to Paperback Writer and uh, the other weeks it'll be, I don't know, does she actually have a name for a show? I think the Poetry Hour, but that's when it was an hour. Rado Maddow's Poetry <laughs> Hour of Power. Radisson Madison's <laughs> Hour of Power. Oh no, wait, that's a Christian Rado thing. Maddow. Rado. It's Australia. It's you got to shorten everything. So yeah, we're um, you're back here listening to Paperback Writer. Uh, well, let's have a chat to Catherine and find out what she's been reading lately. Let's have a chat. So who's going to have a chat to Catherine? I will have a chat with Catherine. <laughs> let's both have a chat to Catherine. Catherine, what do you think? No, uh, that joke didn't work. No. Obviously, no. Was, was that a joke? It was supposed to be. It didn't no. work very well, did okay. it? No, no. I still don't understand it. Anyway, well, Catherine, do you know um, what have you been reading? I had trouble <laughs> oh, spelling no. the word Armageddon. It's not the end of the world, though. <laughs> <laughs> Did that what work? A, what about your um, uh, joke about the general? Oh, that is yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah. Where does the general keep his armies? Where does the general keep his armies, Kath? Up his sleeveys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good and one. And it's cute too. Yeah, I love I like that it. one. Okay, Catherine, failed jokes What have you aside. been reading? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I've read a few things lately actually, but the one I thought I'd talk about because it's – 
Anyway, I'll get into it. It's called Grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter. Um, it's quite well known, and it, I think it won a bunch of awards. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I didn't get it. I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan, to be honest, but okay. the concept is really, really interesting. And it's quite short. It's a novella. And basically, um, it's commentary on grief. And, and I, I did like that part. I thought that was done well. So basically, it's in a London flat, a man with two boys uh, and their mum, his wife, dies. Um, and it happens very suddenly, and they're just kind of figuring out life. Um, obviously, they're all deeply sad and yep. grieving and it's really be. awful and yep. you know just trying to kind of get by and you know I think that's described really well in terms of the grief you know like you see I don't know her makeup case or a hairbrush and you think well she she's not going to be using that again and that's you know and that that's what grief is like it's it's it seeps into everything um and, and it, it, everything seems so unbearable and I mean this is I think five days after the mum's died or something oh, and wow. stuff, so it's very fresh yeah and raw then a crow arrives. <laughs> um, and look, I'm guessing it's a metaphor. As in the bird. As in a bird. Okay. So uh, he, a black predator who snacks on unbrushed teeth and feeds on death. Uh, sorry, unbrushed teeth. And so like he cleans their teeth for them because they're very... Uh, hold on, just can you just <laughs> okay? But anyway, just, can we take a step back for a second? No, I just put that in, but it's it, it is true. Like he's and he kind of becomes their caregiver, but he's also the crow. The crow. So the crow is sort of you sort of go is he a metaphor, isn't he? But I don't feel like he is a metaphor because he seems to actually be there and interacting with them and their things. So he's caring for the father and, and the, sons, the sons through their grief. Yeah, and so he okay. kind of feeds on grief, I think. And so he's been around throughout time and he he yeah. arrives at but he sort of he helps heal them and he helps them process and he kind of protects them, but he also kind of he's a bit of a and trickster and he's a bit of an antagonist and he kind of typical crows. Oh. What are they like? Um but he 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 says, you know, you guys are grieving, I'm going to stay until you don't need me anymore. Okay. And then he ends up being there for for you know months because the the three <laughs> what happened to your chair? It just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he sort of helps them heal, and so the father is a Ted Hughes scholar, you know, the mm-hmm. poet Ted Hughes, yep. and so he's trying to you know get his writing done, you know, and th- there's a point where you know he gets um, what's it called when you had something in late extensions on yep. his you know uh, his book. Yep. But, you know, after a while, they're like, you know, you've, you've grieved now. It's time to move on. You know, there's sort of a time period with grief. People Ouch. are like, okay, it's been long. No, but it's true. <laughs> You'll see it. Like, okay, you've yeah, grieved long. True. It's been this long. It's time to move on, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. And uh, as I said, the, the context, it was, was – was, the concept was really interesting. And I do think he did grief um, really well. And I, I've seen a lot of the comments, you know, people do really like – and, you know, the idea that you need to move on just isn't possible because if, if yeah. someone you die is loved, especially suddenly, yeah. you don't move on. They're always part of your life. Yeah. Um, it depends how you define move on, though, doesn't it? I don't think people are saying that you should never think of your loved one again. Mm. I think the idea is that you go through a period of mourning and then you still you come to the acknowledgement that you have to continue living the rest of your life, um, even though that grief is always going to be a part of you. Um, mm. And I, th- I think that's generally what people mean by, by move on. But... Then it comes to the point, I mean, whose decision is it to move on? Um, yeah. You know, really it's up to the person and is there who's a grieving. a time when you feel that you can? I mean, yeah. I guess it depends what you mean by move on, you know. Yeah. 
Um, it's not like he's looking to remarry or anything like that, but he just, you know, as the book does continue and he does go on a date with someone, the dad. And yeah. I mean, and the perspectives are interesting because it's from the boys. Interestingly, the boys are one uh, unit until much later on in the book. So when it says the boys, ah, okay. you don't know which one um, is oh, speaking. And then he, his perspective, but also the crow's perspective. And I think if I'm being honest, and this is my fault and impatience, the, the crow doesn't speak much like a human and that really irritated me oh, because, no. <laughs> well, I, I just find it hard to read, yeah. you know, like if... It's Irvine Welsh Well, that's what I mean. If, if I was picking up an Irvine Welsh book, I'd know what I, to expect, yeah. I think. Whereas I read this and you hear from the dad, you hear from the boys, and then the crow comes in and he's sort of, he's always talking in sort of a, I guess because he's a trickster, he's always sort of talking in riddles and he's talking around things and... I must admit, I skim read some of the crow parts because I found it frustrating. So, uh, yeah. I thought, I thought after rewatching Moira Rose um, and the crows have eyes too, that you would have <laughs> you would have known how to speak Crowanese by it's now. It's true. Yeah. Well, no, that's just. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, he the crow's interesting because he's sort of a protector, but he kind of pushes them too, and he kind of looks after them yeah, and distracts them. And it, that's the thing, the concept. Mm. I, I know I'm repeating myself, but yeah. So Max Porter, he's written a few other things, Lanny mm. and. Um, mm. Yeah, and I thought the title was brilliant. Mm. Grief is the thing with feathers. Yeah. And it does seem to have mixed reviews on, um, you know, I've had a look on Goodreads. And, and I mean, a lot of people say they love it. And I think if I was going through grief at this stage, I think I would probably find it quite tr- triggering because mm. I think he does capture it really, really well. Yeah, sure. Um, is this, can this book help people move on? I imagine think? so. Because um, it, it kind of feels like that may have been why it was written to some extent. I do wonder that. And, mm. like, you know, maybe the, the crow isn't really a – he's not really there. I mean, they, they say – I imagine the crow is some sort of symbolism. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Edgar Allan Poe. And, you know, and because he's a Ted Hughes scholar, perhaps, you know, this, this – Not Ed, Edgar Allan Crow. <laughs> nah, nice. Thank you. Um, Book-related puns. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's very symbolic and that kind of thing and – yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think I wasn't expecting it to be quite so literal when they said a crow appears. And starts brushing people's teeth. No, picking their teeth for them. That's way worse. Picking the food out. <laughs> um, but that shows that you're that tired. You're just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, t- I totally understand. It reminds me a little bit, um, what was that Ricky Gervais show that came out a while ago? You know, where his partner dies. Oh, Afterlife. Afterlife, that's right. And he, early on it shows how he kind of just lets his life go to crap basically the only thing that gets him out of bed is his dog yeah that's right and his house is a mess he doesn't clean up and he's you know barely feeding himself Mm. um let alone the dog and it it, i thought i mean i I wasn't a huge fan of that show for a few reasons but i thought that kind of depiction of what it's like in the immediate stage after you've lost a loved one well and imagine having kids with that and that's the thing that's interesting from the dad's perspective he's like my wife has died and suddenly I'm punished with more chores to do, which sounds quite selfish, but yeah. it's true. You know, he, like, not only has he lost, he suddenly has more to do and yep. more, you know, he has to pick up the things that she used to do. And two young boys who, you know, are trying to process their own grief yeah. and figure things out and have their own levels of understanding. And then, but, you know, and of course there are neighbours visiting at the beginning, bringing lasagnas and things like that, but that, you know, fades after a little while and mm. yeah. And, but you know, you still need to pay rent and you still need to mm. keep the house clean and you still need to bring in money. And I mean, the kids, I think they're like seven and nine or something. They're not very old. Yeah. Um, so you were old enough to have some understanding of what's happening though, but prob- without a full grasp of it, but probably not old enough to be that helpful with chores. Yeah, <laughs> you true. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so look, it, 
I, I think it's a really interesting book and I, I'm not... Would you recommend that people read it? I think it would depend on personal preference. I mean, some of the Goodreads people said, I get, read it once, five stars, read it again, five stars. Oh, wow. You know, and I guess I, I do like magical realism, but this felt... I don't know how to say it. Too magical? I, I, the Not crow magical annoyed more. me. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> like, the crow <laughs> annoyed me. And there's, there is all for... Um, uh, I'm all for, you know, characters being pushed and things, but... Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I read it in one go as well. It was such an easy. I think it yeah. was in the bookshop, you know, and it was it's a short book. Yeah. Um, but look, yeah, I think if if especially if you're interested in, in in grief, because as I said, I think he captured that really really well. Yeah. And just how hopelessly, desperately alone you feel, um, and that nothing is ever going to be good again, you know, and and that's definitely all encompassing. And then suddenly you have kids to look after, and you have deadlines and everything else, and yeah. you know, the perspective of the boys, and they. They, they're kind of, you know, they say, oh, we don't lie to Dan anymore because, you know, it, we see he's trying to be nice to us and, you know, things like that. And they're kind of trying to, um, I don't know, support their dad in, in, the, in the weird ways that kids can because yeah. really they can't do much. And, yeah, it's – it's and that how they band together but also are very different. And then they fight with each other because they're, they're grieving as well. Yeah, and for sure. What does that mean and what does that look like and – do you yeah. think do you think that you can cover a topic like this in a novella? <laughs> I was just thinking as you as I said that last part, mm. it actually has covered quite a lot in such a short yeah, book. Yeah, wow. Um I mean it is very succinct. Like some of the cha- oh, chapters and, you know, speech marks are like less than a page. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's this is the dad's perspective and then this is that. So That's pretty common it, technique these days, I think. Yeah. yeah, so it's very succinct. Mm. Um and I mean the emotions are laid very raw. So mm. I don't think there's a lot of tiptoeing around or setting scenes because everything is, you know, laid bare. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um so what was the book called again? Uh, Grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter. Max Porter. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you would possibly recommend depending on... <laughs> I think some people will love it and yeah. think it's brilliant. Yeah. I think other people will hate it. I just wonder if I didn't get it. There's a common theme <laughs> with the books we talk about on this show. Yeah. I think they're like that. They're, they're... And especially because I've read so many good books lately and I've yeah. just been so aware that I've been giving five-star ratings to everything. <laughs> Whereas yeah. this one came in and I think because the standard was so high, I gave this two out of five, which probably Whoa. is too harsh yeah. uh, in hindsight because, I mean, look how much I'm talking about it. There was yeah. clearly more to it than that. Yeah. But I think if you read something so good and then something that doesn't capture your attention or d- do what you hope it does, yep. yeah, suddenly... Yeah, so it's for not all, fair. For aspiring writers out there, if you want to write a book that Catherine will read one day, do not include a talking crow. Well, yeah, but just make him talk like a human, which <laughs> makes, which doesn't make sense because he's a crow, not a human. So don't do that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> good advice. Just don't write a book specifically for Catherine would probably yeah, be my probably, advice. Yeah, probably, because who knows Limited what market. I like. It changes depending <laughs> yeah. on if I'm hungry or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hello. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have my headphones on today. <laughs> my bad. Welcome back to Paperback Writer, Radio Blue. Don't look at me like that, thank you. Uh, Just because no, we're on radio late. doesn't mean that I can't see you looking I at me like that. Well, yeah, but no one else can. Do you so. remember the time that you leaned on the keyboard and all the ads started playing? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure that was someone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to my back writer on 89.1 <laughs> Radio Blue Mountains. This is Catherine. And this is Zach. 
Zach. I haven't done that for a while. Hey, what was the... We just listened to... Uh, year, is it called 2000 or Year 2000 by Disco Pulp? Disco 2000. Disco 2000 by Pulp. Yep. Who was the main person that that song's singing about? Like it's about a woman. What's her name again? Uh, I've forgotten. Her name was... Jennifer. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just ruined my joke. Her name's Deborah. Deborah, okay. that's right. I All forgot. Right. Sorry, I forgot. So who was the person that song's singing about? Her name was Deborah. 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 So that's what I think my new thing it is. It never suited you. Every time someone says a name, I'm just going to whisper it loudly after that, like they're doing that song. Because it's so catchy. Deborah. That was the build up. Well, I mean, it wasn't that big a build <laughs> up until you're that, like, her name's Jennifer. That you're going to whisper Jennifer? their name when someone says their name. All women are the same to you, are they? Wow. Just all women's that's names. Just Jennifer, creepy. Deborah, that's same, just same. creepy. You're just going to stand next to people if and whisper their names. If it was a man, you'd remember it. Wow. I, I, this is the patriarchy. I'm sick of this. Bloody so, patriarchy. Anyway, enough um, talk from Catherine. <laughs> Let's uh, hear what I have to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, Zach, what have you been reading? Zach. Oh, thank you for the question, Zach. Zach. Um, so, <laughs> see, I told you it was creepy. Um, Works so, better with more syllables. Oh, wait, who wrote the book you're reading? His name was Thomas Piketty. Piketty. See, how good does that sound? Did that did not work at all. <laughs> He talks about equality. Equality. See? Um, (laughs) All right, go. A brief history of equality. When just during the music, we were saying having that coffee before the show was a good idea. I think it was a brilliant idea. Because I'm not so sure about that anymore. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Zach, what have you been reading? I've been reading A Brief History of Equality by Thomas Piketty. Um, our listener probably recalls that I've mentioned this book a couple of times because, uh, uh, um, yes, it is taking me quite a while to read it. Um, but to be fair, it's a lot of concepts, a solid book. It is, and a lot of amazing um, Excel spreadsheet uh, graphs as well. Which we know you love. Which I love. Zach actually had a mug that said, I love spreadsheets oh, for a while. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't allowed to use it, remember? No, no definitely not, because you don't love spreadsheets. That's <laughs> true, I don't. So I find them very difficult exactly. to use. Um, but, but look, one of the reasons why I'm taking a while to read, apart from the fact that uh, I'm <laughs> insanely busy all the time, um, running a bookshop among other things, is um, that it is uh, it's a book about economics, um, a brief history of equality. So uh, Thomas Piketty is quite a well known, uh, I guess if you're in this area, quite a well known French economist. Um, he's written a couple of uh, really great selling books actually, um, which have been quite. Um, heavy uh, on the uh, uh, economic theory and the like. This is a book that is a fair bit smaller than some of the ones he's written before. He's deliberately written it with a view to reaching a wider audience, so you don't need to have an economics degree to um, understand it. But um, it is still uh, it's really interesting um, stuff that he talks about mm. and, and the general theme that uh, if you actually look at the statistics, uh, equality as a whole in terms of financial quality at least, has improved over the last 200 to 300 years quite a lot. Um, as I've mentioned before, that doesn't mean that he's saying there's no more problems and we're all equal now. He's you know, he's definitely not saying that at all. Um, it, sorry? Yeah, and there's, you need to talk into the microphone if you want to say something. Oh, is that how it works? Did you just mansplain <laughs> the radio <laughs> yeah, show I we've did. been doing for months to me? Did, did you just start talking into the radio into this? Thank God you're did here. Did you start talking did I, but, when you were uh, about three feet away from the microphone? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I was going to ask: yes. Is this a Western history? 
or like a, a white history or throughout the world? No, or throughout, the, throughout the world. Now, and he, what I, kind of time period? He's a French, well, 200 or 300 years. Yeah, right. Primarily. He's a French economist, so a lot of what he talks about uh, relates it's, to France. It's, it's Trebon, probably. Yeah, but th- I mean, that's quite a, it's an interesting um, example to study because France has a history of being involved in the slave trade, of um, colonialism. Oh, I've seen um, Les Miserables. Of, you it was know, bloody con- miserable. Conquering, <laughs> it was conquering um, Europe during Napoleon, all that kind of thing. So um, seeing it from a, a French perspective is quite interesting. Um, and he's certainly not a... Uh, he, I think it's fair to say he's a progressive economist as well. Mm. Um, so he, he does kind of view these things through the lens of the damage that uh, colonisation has done. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, one of the reasons why I'm talking about colonization and um, slavery in particular at the moment is because the most recent chapter I'm up to uh, is about reparations. And I did uh, mention something about this previously, but I've um, gone a bit further into the book. Um, and there's some quite uh, revealing points that I uh, got out of it. Um, I really wish I had a bit more time to actually go through this all properly, this book, because uh, it's just fascinating things. Um, one of the really interesting stats that he talks about uh, is that if you look at countries who formerly were slaveholding countries or were colonial um, countries, so um, there are places like the USA, um, also places like uh, France and the UK who used to be colonial powers, um, inequality uh, and in the states that they used, that they previously colonised, um, inequality in those countries is still, generally speaking, much higher than in other countries that weren't colonial powers or that weren't slaveholding states. So even yeah. though a lot of these things happened um, in the 17th, 18th century, um, the, uh, the uh, implications from the inequality, the massive amounts of inequality in those days still flows through to modern societies. Right. So inequality in the USA is still significantly higher than most places in Europe. Um, or countries like Sweden in particular, which has quite low inequality. Um, even in France and the UK, inequality is still quite high. Um, if you look at countries where that those countries have colonised in the past, so places like South Africa um, and Morocco and Algeria, um, mm. um, inequality in those countries uh, is still really high. It's higher than um, a global average. I'm having trouble thinking of countries that haven't been colonised or were colonisers, though. I can't actually think of any example. Maybe Nauru because well, it's a tiny country. Most nations on the planet haven't been colonisers. Um, been colonised. Yeah, they have been colonised. But it also depends on how long they've been colonised for mm. and the extent um, to what the... Co- so uh, a good example of places like um, Congo yeah. uh, and you know a number of countries kind of uh, in that area of Africa below the Sahel and the mm. Sahara, that kind of area, um, that were very heavily, brutally colonised. Yeah. Um, more than a lot of other places. And then when um, the colonisers left, they filled concrete into the wells. What country? Was that Uganda? No, that I was Congo. That was think, Congo. Yeah. I remember reading. Isn't that disgusting? There's, there's a whole, there's a whole two-hour discussion move. about um, the Belgian... Yes, um, that's, a, that's the one I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. King anyway, Leopold sorry. II, I think it was, or, or something yeah. like that. Um, but that, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but it, the, the whole point that um, Piketty has, makes through a lot of this book is that um, things that have happened... 200 years in the past, still absolutely reverberate through to today. And this is when he's on the subject of reparations. He's trying to make the point that countries that benefited from slavery and from colonization owe 
um, financial aid to the countries they colonized yeah. or to the countries well, I, or to I the totally people who agree. were slaves in those countries because inequality um, still exists massively today. Although that would bankrupt what the UK. Well, it doesn't have to bankrupt. Spain, if you think about Portugal. the money that some of these countries spend on, uh, you know, nuclear weapons and um, mm. cor- massive corporate tax breaks and True. things like that, there's no. It wouldn't bankrupt them at all. Croissants, and, probably, if we're thinking France. And the thing is that, that um, <laughs> the uh, there's no attempt to make reparations either. It's not even a small amount of reparations necessarily. Um, so they don't have to bankrupt anything, but it's still not done. Mm. Um, he made a really interesting point that countries that outlawed slavery. Um, they often uh, just replaced slavery with indentured work. So basically they got immigrants from poor countries, brought them into their country. Paid them nothing. Well, well, pay, well Next to nothing. pay them a small amount, but they took a large chunk of those wages to cover the cost of bringing them to the country in the first place. Yeah. And they often had to pay the, off that debt over 10 years. So and they, often I imagine that would have led to huge trafficking and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and you know, if they did something wrong um, yeah, or they... Wages were docked. Yeah, and, which, and if the wages were docked, that meant that their debt to their employer increased. So then they'd have to work another 10 years for their employer. And effectively, it was slavery in all but name only. Yeah. Um, he was talking about the French That's government in particular in Africa. Um, I think even, this was even in the 20s and the 30s, um, applying the approach of uh, egalitarianism to uh, countries that the French colonised, like Morocco and Algeria, um, and saying that it was the duty of all citizens to pay tax, which is not an unreasonable concept. Um, but they um, then realised that lots of people in those countries were too poor to pay tax. But because they were citizens, they were still required to contribute to the state. So they were forced to contribute through unpaid labour. Mm. So again, you're kind of getting to a point where you're forcing people to work. Um, and they used it under the guise of uh, equality. That's um, what happened in Sally Morgan's book as well, My Place, with the Stolen Generations. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't slaves, but they really were. Yeah. You know, to be free, you had to work so long. And, and you know, again, any small thing or perceived smallness step, uh, yeah, they, they just added to your debt. Yeah. And you basically were never going to be free. And all, all of this was basically just taking money from poor people in poor countries and taking them back home to rich countries yeah. and funding the consumption uh, habits of rich people in those and countries. building statues to the people who were yeah. massacred so many. Um, and, and one of the things that really stood out to me was he, he was talking about the 20s and the 30s um, in Congo and areas, uh, countries around that part of Africa as well, that there were horrific loss of life through forced labour building railways uh, all the way up to World War II in those countries. So again, um, they Which were... Which countries, sorry? Well, countries around Congo. Oh, around Congo, In yeah. particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they were building railways from Congo to the ocean. Mm. Um, and they, um, you know, they, they were basically forced laborers as well. Um, and they, they, they started off hiring people who lived around the proposed route of the railway line. Um, but because so many of those people were dying from the dangerous work, mm. uh, and because a bunch of them ended up realizing how dangerous it was and were fleeing, they then had to go further into other African countries and bring labourers to work oh. on the railways. And so that happening in the 19th century, um, I can see that happening. That, that doesn't surprise me that much that, that it happened then. But the fact that this was happening in the 1920s and the 1930s still um, by the French government is something that I hadn't really known about. Um, I'm not that surprised, though. The, um, he made another really interesting point about... Um, uh, 
how important it is to look at paying reparations to people because even if you're talking about you know loss of uh, income paying people hardly anything um, it doesn't allow them to build out assets or build up any sort of wealth which then gets passed on they can't pass on wealth to future generations um, he also talked about how important education is um, in a lot of these countries and he used an example of Morocco in 1925 uh, which was uh, a French colony um, the uh, French dominated government in Morocco was spending 80% of the education bu- uh, be- um, budget uh, on schools exclusively for Europeans <laughs> and those that population of Europeans in Morocco made up 4% of the population <laughs> 4% of the country and 80% so of the budget 80% of the, the education budget was going to 4% oh my of students and again, that makes the point that if you can't get a proper education, then you can't, you're going to struggle to teach your kids and get them to have a proper education and the grandkids and, mm-hmm. and you can't build up skills and you can't build up wealth and mm-hmm. you just can't pass that on. Um, yeah, and it's just the, the whole chapter is kind of coming back to the idea that uh, so, for so long these countries have been using um, either free labour in the force of slavery or labour that's paid effectively nothing in mm-hmm. order... Um, to support the wealth of other countries around the world and to bring the money back home to places like the UK and France and, and the US um, and the like. And, you know, lots of other countries have been involved in this kind of thing as well. Um, you know, the Japanese during World War Two used a lot of forced labour as well and did some horrific things. Um, mm. So it's not just, a um, you know, a white uh, issue or anything like that, but it's just something that's been going on for a long, long time. And it's only in our very recent past that some of these things have been going on as well. Um, mm. And as we know, you know, there's still issues with human trafficking and, that's, that and modern day slavery as well these yeah. days. Yeah, and, and, and in Australia too, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not very <laughs> not very cheerful reading um, at the moment. But as I mentioned before, though, he does... <laughs> My book's all about grief. Your book. Yeah. No, but this must be the history of equality. It is. And again, it's, it's interspersed with information showing. And I think I mentioned this um, maybe two or three episodes ago, the really interesting um, information early on showing that the share of wealth for the richest people in society since 1700 has dropped significantly. Mm. Um, but the share of wealth for the poorest part of the population has only increased a small amount. Mm. And I, remember, I, think you, I think you asked me at the time, so where did that go, the wealth that the, the richest people had, if that's fallen and the poorest people haven't benefited? Mm. And I made the point that Thomas Piketty makes, the middle class. Mm. And in 1700, there effectively wasn't a middle class. Mm. Uh, that doesn't, didn't really exist. So um, a lot of these numbers are showing that the middle class uh, is, has grown significantly since 1700 and... If you look at it that way, equality has improved quite a lot. Mm. But the poorest people in society are still the ones that don't get anything and are still um, you know, right at the bottom of the ladder and there's very few opportunities for them to advance up that ladder. Um, and so as you say, that education, isn't it? A whole bunch of things, that's mm. the thing. And that's why, that's why it's taking a while to get through this book because these are not simple topics. They're, they're quite complicated. And he does... Um, I talked about Haiti a while ago as well and that the French government force the Haitian government to pay off the debts from ending slavery. Yeah, they ha- up until nineteen fifty, I think, they were still paying debts mm. um in order to end slavery in Haiti um in Haiti I should say. Um the French government forced the Haitian government to uh to pay compensation to the slaveholders. The slaves didn't get anything. They've been so put out. Yeah, exactly. 
and the French government insisted on that debt being repaid right up into the 20th century, um, which is just disgraceful. Um, anyway, I'll keep reading that book bit by bit. Um, it's fascinating. I can't recommend it highly enough to anyone who has an interest in politics, equality, um, anything like that. You Spreadsheets. Don't, spreadsheets in particular. You don't <laughs> have to be uh, an economics nerd to read this book either. It's very, it's very accessible, um, but it helps if you are interested in that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's A Brief History of Equality by uh, Thomas Piketty. I'm just enjoying you reading it and then explaining the good bits to me. I think that suits yeah, me quite okay. well. That's, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> um, we haven't heard... I don't think we did a Dracula Daily update last week, oh, the last fortnight. Dracula Daily. <laughs> I'm so far on, behind, Zach. I, it, it, so, do you remember how, like, even a month or so ago, I was like, oh, I'm so impatient and I'm only getting a sentence or a paragraph every few days and I really want to know what's going to happen now. Yeah, it was going so slowly. It's a deluge. It's just every day there's a new email and it's so long. Yeah, wow. Um, so, I'm actually behind. We're actually going to have a Dracula Daily reading party um, on Monday that unfortunately didn't happen. My bad. But... Um, because there's a, a Dracula few Daily party. Yeah, <laughs> reading party. Yeah. So, um, you know, myself and a couple of friends, we're going to read it together because we're all the same. And according to a lot of memes on the internet, a lot of people are too because it just comes, it's just so much that it's overwhelming. And before, you know, I'd sit with a cup of tea and I'd read it, but now it's, I'm hours behind. Um, but since, since we spoke about it last, I have read more, but... Um, what's, the, what's the summary of what's happened? Well, as I said, I am far behind. But I, by sure. the next show, I should hopefully have caught up a little bit. Cool. Um, did I tell you that – I don't remember where we got up to, actually, but basically they were going to go and see if um, Lucy was a vampire. And so Van Helsing suspected that she was and was trying to get everyone on his I side. I think that's where pretty much where yeah, we were up to a- last time. and saying, you know, we've got to go and, like, chop off her head yeah, and showing them right. empty graves and, and you know, and they – they were all like the family were really upset that yeah, she looked like she died, and then Helsing was like, "Yeah, that's sad. Okay, let's, let's chop off her chop head." Chop off her head. Yep. Well, and then he takes them to where she's buried in the tomb, and suddenly her body's not there, and all mm. these kids are going missing at night, and they have tiny little um, bite marks on. Mm. The, well, we know it's a bite mark. Um, long story short, basically, she's a vampire, and she's sucking the blood of local children in the area. Yep. Uh, that's right, because we talked about the bluffer lady. Oh, that's Do you remember? Right. And you Googled it and found out it meant beautiful. Yeah. Bluffer lady. Bluffer, something like that, yeah. Well, anyway, um, basically he got all the all the people that had ever loved <laughs> Lucy and proposed to her. I don't know if you remember, but a lot, three yeah. different people proposed. was like, hey, guys, let's, you know, come with me. I want to show you something. And it's quite vague about it. Basically, they see Lucy as a vampire holding a little kid. And when she sees them, she comes over and just throws the child aside, by the way. <laughs> just throws them on the ground yep. it's quite vivid about that while the child moans um and um goes over to them and they're just like what the because she's i mean she's evil you know she's a she's a vampire yep. now um and then she still tries to because arthur you know they were engaged and he's absolutely in love with her and she's like she says you know come to me and i'm hungry for you and you're my husband and you know i love you and he starts moving towards her and you know then van helsing pulls out a little crucifix and she sort of you know mm. uh, recoils from it um, are vampires evil or just misunderstood? I mean, I think that's, in this case, very evil. <laughs> like, I mean, but if she doesn't drink blood, she dies, doesn't she? So she's no, but kind you of see the change in her character. Yeah. Like, the, you actually see the physical, like, her eyes, like, she becomes a bit manipulative and she beca- she is evil. I think they, I, don't, I can't remember if they sort of talk about it being demonic or mm, what have you. So okay. in this case, it's it's not like a twilight, I'm going to... 
you know, I'm going to try and drink animal blood because I want to be a good... Like, I think it's a compulsion, a, a, a sort of... Um, yeah. Anyway, so they finally realise that... <laughs> they admit, okay, Lucy's a vampire. They all want to go back the next day because, um, you know, she can only be out at night. And they go there, and Van Helsing, being the gentleman he is, says, you know what, Arthur? I think it's best that you do this. Hands him a, <laughs> hands him a stake and a hammer. If someone's like... Catherine's a vampire to you. Someone says to you, Catherine's a vampire. Do you want to kill her? Are you going to be like, yeah, you're right. It's my duty. I wouldn't. I'd be like, no, you kill, you kill Zach if you're a vampire. I wouldn't want to do it. I'd be like, is the steak rare or well done? Thank you. Anyway. So yes, poor, that would be, that would be an like, awkward uh, position uh, to be put in. But he, uh, Arthur's like, you're right. It's the best thing to do. And he's like trembling. And Can we thing- talk a little bit about Van Helsing here? Because I think he's really approaching this just the completely the wrong way. You know, I could not agree more. And his <laughs> weird no vagueness. There's no diplomacy whatsoever. But, like, but to be fair, if he said to you, look, I think Lucy's a vampire, come with me, I'll prove it to you, no one would come. So if he's like, you need to trust me, my dear friends, and blah, 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 and, you know, here's some weird vague stuff, and, you know, he kind of has to... The way he's 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 uh, portrayed in the book, he's so wise and so noble and so loyal that anyone would do anything for him, just as he would do anything for them. Like Mina, mm. oh my God, she's like a pearl of a woman because she wrote something in shorthand. Like he's just yeah. that kind of person. It's all or nothing. And so th- <laughs> the, the loyalty is is, is okay. crazy. Um, anyway, so poor Arthur, yeah, puts a stake in her heart. And I just I thought I could read this. He struck with all his might. The thing in the coffin writhed, so it's not even Lucy anymore because they realise that Lucy isn't Lucy. Lucy's, okay. yeah. And a hideous blood-curdling screech came from the open red lips. The body shook and quivered and twisted in wild contortions. The sharp white teeth champed together till the lips were cut and the mouth was smeared with a crimson foam. But Arthur never faltered. He looked like a figure of Thor as his untrembling arm rose and fell. So it doesn't have to hit her once in the heart, by the way driving deeper and deeper the mercy-bearing stake while the blood from the pest hut welled and spurted up around it. His face was set and high duty seemed to shine through it. The sight of it gave us courage so that our voices seemed to ring through the little (laughs) vault. Then the writhing and quivering of the body became less, the teeth seemed to champ and the face to quiver. Finally it lay still, the terrible task was over. That foam. Wow, oh, that's uh, it's visual, isn't it? Visual. The lips, yep. mouth was smeared with the crimson because she's got fangs. Yeah, sure. And so she's biting her own lips. And yeah, thanks for that explanation. Yeah, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Well, you mansplain to me. I think it's about time we <laughs> flip around. So anyway, they do it, and they're all obviously sh- shook. And then the you know they Van Helsing's like, okay, so she was turned because of this guy Dracula. I mean, he doesn't say Dracula, but we got to go find him. Are we in? And all the men are like, yeah, let's do it. So that was pretty full on. Keep in mind, I'm still really far behind. Um, mm. And then the Renfield, remember the guy the, the, in the asylum? And he's, he eats flies. <laughs> how could I forget? Yeah, how could you forget? Yeah. He eats flies and he's spiders fly and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. He's, he takes no stock in cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so it turns out the house nearby that he kind of went wild at when people were uh, taking boxes from it w- is one of the places that Dracula is going to live. And mm. they, um, and that's kind of why he's sort of all over the place and he wants to go to his master. So they realise this. Um, I won't go into why, but they realise this and they go in there at night and they won't let Mina come, which I think is sexist. But anyway, they go there wearing garlic and, you know, with crucifixes and things like that. Um and interestingly, before they're about to go, Renfield gets really proper. So keep in mind, he's a madman in some movies and he's mm. wild and he's crazy and he's violent and he's strong. But then other moments, he's completely, you know, talking as I am yep. to you now. When he's not eating flies. 
or spiders yep. getting ready to catch. Oh, birds. He ate a bird. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so he gets all proper and he's like, and he meets the gang. I'm going to call them the gang. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, gets all proper and, hello, I knew your father from this. And so proper. And he trying to almost trick them into, you know, believing he's sane. He said, anyway, I'd really appreciate if you could let me go tonight. And, you know, they sort of have, you ha- you hear from their point of view. Well, I almost fell for it. And then I remembered what that he'd almost killed me yep. <laughs> and drank my blood from my wrist yep. uh, a few a few times ago. Anyway, so while they go to the house, um, they hear Mina hears him like you know praying loudly and making all this noise. They go in the house; it's dusty; it's full of so many rats. They <laughs> they think, oh, you know, can Dracula control the rats? So they call a whistle. They use a whistle, and the dogs come, and they basically find twenty nine out of fifty of the boxes of dirt. And they're like, okay, so where have the rest gone? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we're up to now. Them trying to figure out where Dracula is, trying to. Because they know if he's turned Mina, he'll be turning more. Yep. Mina, I mean, these poor kids, meanwhile, going to the bluffer lady. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's been sucking the blood from young children. And, I mean, again, we're not sure how people turn. Like, it hasn't been that clear whether you drink some from someone's yeah. neck and they don't die. That makes them a vampire. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Are these kids going to be... <laughs> but so Nina's dead now, right? Uh, Th- with a stake through the heart, Lucy. Oh, that was Lucy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Lucy. So, yeah. well, yeah, the th- yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. So she's and I, I think they cut off her head um, since then. Yep. Um, so always double tap. Yeah, double tap. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I'm still so far behind. I'm about a month behind yeah. now, and all of the uh, because remember, it's all in order and it's letters and diaries and things. Every single day seems to be mm. pages and pages and pages of it. So as Torrent. I. S- yeah, it's it's going to be uh, yeah. We're going to have to have a few Dracula daily reading parties, I think, because <laughs> it's it's at the point now where it's overwhelming. Like all the, they've been drip feeding us, and I've been desperate. Oh, I can't wait. And now it's at the point. It's like oh, bloody Dracula! Like <laughs> I've got to read it. And I actually thought about just getting the book and reading it, but yeah. I, I I think I'd be disappointed if it finished uh, because I think we're in the final two weeks. Like if I was up to date, we're in the final two weeks now, and I'd be a bit sad if I didn't uh, if I didn't get there. So, yeah, yeah I think hopefully by, by the next show, I'll, cool. I'll have read a lot more. But, I gosh, we'll need a whole hour well, just good, to talk good about thing it. Good we've got a fortnightly show now, not a week. Well, actually, and when's Halloween? It's no. This week? Yeah, this week, 31st. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe that's when you should have the party then. It's true. Yeah. Mm. Um, cool. Thank you for that Dracula Daily update. You know what? I recommend Dracula to anyone who hasn't read Dracula it. Daily or Dracula. Well, just the novel or yeah. Dracula Daily. I mean, look, Dracula Daily. As I said, I liked it until I was overwhelmed. I'm very far behind, and I still do to some extent. But I am impressed at how timeless it is. Yeah. Considering when it where was it written in the late 1800s, mm. it's really. I mean, I just read that bit to you. How visual was that? Yeah. How descriptive was that? And it's it's engaging. And, and considering that the whole book is diaries and letters and journal entries and things like that, and phonographs now, because yeah. that's how Dr. Van Helsing works. Yeah. Um, it's actually very engaging. I, I'm, I, this is a classic that deserves to be a there classic. There we go, good. Not like Wuthering Heights. Like, well, that's what you not talk about Wuthering Heights. Heights yeah. Stupid. Or On the Road. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, don't, let's not get into that. I think we did that show, didn't we, about classics that just weren't very good? Or? But I don't think I spoke... We talked Maybe about we books you hate that everyone loves, oh, and I, I don't think right. I went into Wuthering Heights because we didn't have enough time. We'll, we'll, we'll do a show <laughs> on classics that just I aren't that we good. we should, because yeah. there are some classics that are amazing and then classics that are just... Yeah. But then again, books that I love, other people yeah. hate and vice versa. I mean, so much of it is personal preference. Yeah, that's right. It's very true. Um, cool. Thank you, Kath. 
so we'll play some more music yeah. and then we'll come back and we'll have a bit of a chat about book news. Welcome back to Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains. Back to the early 2000s there with those songs, right? Yep. Um, so we had Classics. Bomb Funk MCs, Freestylers. Bomb was, Funk MCs. That's what I said. Oh, sounds yeah. like you said Bomb Funk. <laughs> Better name. Anyway. <laughs> um, Zach was a raver, just so everyone knows. He had a special shirt for raving. Yep. Yep. Glow in the dark. Pretty cool. Yep. It's amazing. Um, Blur, Girls and Boys, and then Counting Crows. Have you seen me lately? I love Counting Crows. I can see you right now. You're right in front of me. Did you get the joke? N- yeah, I did. Okay. It just took me a while. Anyway. No, I thought you were making a joke about me being a crow and you were counting me, and I was a bit confused. Although, good We good did theme. talk about crows earlier, Crows, it's true. Yeah, um, yeah and that, that's actually a song that's on, and another song we played earlier was from the soundtrack of The Bear, which is a new um, show we've been watching, and I... They yell a lot. <laughs> they yell a lot. Well, it's about chefs in the kitchen, so yes, you would, they ex- yell you would expect a lot, them to even yell for chefs in the kitchen that they yell a lot. But a ama- great show, amazing soundtrack. Um, yeah. So, speaking of crows, like, no, that doesn't really. I was like birds because there's <laughs> a bird. Well, anyway, I was going to talk about the Blue Fringe uh, Festival. Um, the, the the art. What was the segue there exactly? Well, there was an artwork with the birds in it. Remember? And I was trying to do a. Okay. Nah. Yep. Anyway. Oh, crow is symbolic of, nah, just, I'm just going to move on, I think. So uh, last week we went to the <laughs> Blue Fringe <laughs> Arts Festival at Wentworth Falls TAFE. TAFE, yeah. In the, blue, in the gorgeous Blue Mountains. It was awesome. It was so good. So basically the Blue Fringe is um, a community of people who have been impacted by mental health at some point. And, um, lived experience. Lived experience, yeah. yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Um, and there was writing and poetry and art. And we went to go and see the art exhibition. Unfortunately, we were at our shop on the Saturday, so couldn't go and hear the readings. Actually, and you know who won? Did I tell you? You did. Chandu. Yeah, Chandu's winning who prizes was, left, right and centre in the I know. Oh, she's smashing Winner of it. our Regenesis competition. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so she was there and, and mm. read, which was great. Um, we saw her first. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we discovered her talent. God, yeah, you're welcome, Chandu. <laughs> As if <laughs> I'm just joking, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were over a hundred artworks. Um, and they were all lined up down the hall. And mm. I tell you, it was fascinating. It was really cool, and it was really interesting because I mean, obviously, mental health impacts people in in different ways depending on a number of issues so there were some that were funny and there were some that were really sad and there were some that just made confronting and (laughs) some just that were really pretty you know um and really different mediums as well like it was there was paintings Mm. there were sculptures there were like one guy had got a bunch of um I'm, I'm sure there's a bit of wood for it, but like wood panels and made a Chinese lantern from it Mm. um but it was colonial houses from up here and and what, what was the deal with the cello well, the cello was the Blue Mountains Woman's Shed. Yeah, that's and cool. so they made a mosaic on, um, uh, 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 like, pieces all over the cello, mm. um, which was so cool. Mm. Uh, stained glass. And then, of course, there were a lot of, you know, paintings and drawings. Um, drawings yeah. and, mm. But, again, all sorts of, uh, you know, some were dot paintings, some was watercolour, some was acrylic. Some, yeah. was, some people had never done art before in their life. Um, some, I mean, the one that made me laugh, uh, you know, you get the the piece of paper that explains a bit and there was one called self-portrait 
shaved or self-portrait without the beard or something. Mm. And then it said in the information, needless to say, I grew it back. <laughs> so that was so funny. Yeah. Um, and some were for sale and we bought a couple actually. Yeah, it was, um, I can't wait to have them in the shop. Mm. Uh, if you are interested in seeing them, come down and see our shop, Rosie Ravelston Books. We don't have them yet, but we should no. have them soon. Big shout out to Megan too. I was about to say that. Regular bookshop customer who also was one of the main organisers of the uh, event. She yeah. did a great job. Um, yeah, she was, oh, can you imagine how much work it would have been? It's a lot of responsibility, yeah. So much. But I mean, it, it, Megan smashed it, the whole team smashed it. We met a bunch of people on the day who were just really friendly and lovely. And yeah, so that's every year. Um, and, and they're going to be doing it again next year. So, you know, they're on Facebook. I imagine there's a website. Yeah, there is. Blue Fringe. Yeah. Blue Fringe Festival or Blue Fringe? Uh, it's a good question. Blue Fringe, <laughs> it has like a blue background with like a wavy white line through it yeah. is the picture on Facebook anyway. Check it out because they had uh, photos and, and you know, who people who won the, the writing, they had all that on their yeah. Facebook as well. So, I mean, that was so cool. I love – there's so much to do here in the Blue Mountains, yeah, you know. It's – I don't think we miss out on anything by living here. You know, people think, oh, the city has all this, but we have so many exhibitions and mm. launches. And yeah, yeah we're, we're so lucky. It's a very creative place to be. It's, it is. It's fantastic, surrounded by amazing people. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. And um, speaking of, I guess, competitions, we have a Booker Prize winner. Well, we don't have one, but yeah. the Booker Prize does. The Booker Prize has one. <laughs> is it the Man Booker Prize or the Booker Prize? No, it's Booker Prize. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, uh, I think Man was a sponsor, um, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, was it? Oh. Yeah, but it's, it's the Booker Prize now. The Booker Prize. Um, which is like one of the biggest um, writing competitions in the world. Mm. It's, uh, um, the Booker Prize itself is open to uh, anyone from around the world who writes in English. Um, there is an international Booker Prize as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, for books that are not written in English. But the, the Booker Prize itself is for um, text written in, in English. And uh, uh, as, the, as the Aussies call it, the Bookers. Let's, let's listen to the Bookers. Who won the Bookers, Zach? I've never heard anyone say that before. But yeah, that's how Australians talk. I know you shorten things yeah, and right. add O's and Z's. Yeah, except not when it comes to literary competitions. <laughs> um, just sometimes like, I'm just going to move my microphone a little bit. No worries at all. Um, yeah, so there were a bunch of uh, nominees, some, some really, really good books there. And now, yeah, last week was it? And a winner was announced. Uh, yeah, I think it was the 20th or something like that. Um, yeah. So the winner uh, was uh, a book. I haven't read it yet because uh, it's actually hard to get your hands on a copy right now. But we will get some for the bookshop. Um, yeah, it sounds so good. It's called the... And a, just apologies in advance for pronunciation uh, again. Um, this is a book written by a Sri Lankan uh, writer, so my pronunciation is probably going to be terrible, but I'll try my best. Um, the book is called The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, um, and it's got an incredible cover to it as well, um, the edition that's come out now. It's very colourful. Uh, and the author is a Sri, um, Sri Lanka guy called Shihan uh, Karuna Tilaka. Karuna Tilaka. Um, it's actually his second novel as well, um, and I just thought I'd. I love uh, that second book, and he wins the Booker Prize. Yeah, I know. Out. I know. It's just so unfair. <laughs> Amazing. Um, um, so uh, I just wanted to read a little bit about the book, a blurb, and I'm gonna uh, the the Booker Prize website actually has an extract of the book um, up as well. So I thought I'd oh, read cool. that out as well. Oh, awesome! Um, I haven't heard this yet. Great. So the blurb for the book. Um, sorry, I'll just actually I'll start by saying the. Um, Shehan Karuna Talaka's second novel is a searing, mordantly funny satire set amid the murderous mayhem of a Sri Lanka beset by civil war. Um, sounds <laughs> wow. hilarious. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Ma- <laughs> Marley Almeida, um, war photographer, gambler, and closet gay, 
has woken up dead in what seems to be a celestial visa office. His dismembered body is sinking in the Beera Lake and he has no idea who killed him. At a time when scores are settled by death squads, suicide bombers and hired goons, the list of suspects is depressingly long. But even in the afterlife, time is running out for Marley. He has seven moons to try and contact the man and the woman he loves most and lead them to a hidden cache of photos that will rock Sri Lanka. Sounds hilarious. Um, but it is a satire as well. Um, it's uh, and I, I mean, someone's described it as a rip roaring um, uh, epic, which uh, sounds amazing, mordantly funny satire. It's funny. It doesn't sound funny, but I guess it's like he's seeing his dismembered body, trying to figure out who killed yeah. him. I guess it, it, I there's a, there's a lot of books out there though. It's that true. At your initial glance at the blurb, might be, uh, oh my god, what is this? Um, but that's one of the the skills of writing, isn't it, to be able to take serious subjects like that and to um you know to have a, to have an important them. message but also to yeah well like kyle actually by tanvir bush isn't it yeah yeah it's oh, definitely. so messed up and so dark but really funny lots of funny moments in there yeah um sorry okay. continue that's all right no i'm just so i'll just read out an extract i'm not sure which part of the book this comes from but um uh it sounds uh, amazing and i think it'll give people a really good feel for uh this book um and for also why it deserved to win the the booker prize The memories come to you with pain. The pain has many shades. Sometimes it arrives with sweat and itches and rashes. At other times, it comes with nausea and headaches. Perhaps like amputees feeling absent limbs, you still hold the illusion of your decaying corpse. One minute you are retching, the next you are reeling, the next you are remembering. You met Jackie five years ago in the casino at Hotel Leo. She was 20, just out of school and losing pathetically at Baccarat. You were back from a torrid tour of the Varney, unhinged by the slaughter, breaking bread with shady people, seeing the bad wherever you looked and wearing your notorious red bandana. You had sold the photos to Johnny at the Associated Press and cashed a welcome six-figure cheque. Even in Lankan rupees, six figures are better than five. You had outplayed the house at Blackjack, whacked the crab at the buffet and washed it down with some free gin. A regular day at the office. Don't bet on tyres, sister, you said to the strange girl with frizzy hair and black makeup. She looked at you and rolled her eyes, which you found strange. Women usually like the look of you, not knowing that you prefer penis to to cooch. A trimmed beard, an iron shirt, and a bit of deodorant will elevate you above a herd of sweaty Lincoln hetero males. Um, clearly, I haven't read this extra. <laughs> but that's I'll all right. save it for the show and read it fresh. <laughs> um, I just won 20,000 rupees, she said. You noticed she was alone and that no one was hitting on her, both unusual for women in casinos in Colombo. And the chances of you winning that again are 9%. And this house only pays out 7 to 1, minus commission which means follow that strategy a hundred times and you will lose, even when you win. A man who knows everything. What a surprise. (laughs) I thought you'd like that bit, Kath. Um, The croupier stared you down. You shrugged and placed her chips on the banker. She half smiled and half frowned, but let you commandeer her bet. You better pay if I lose that. If you can't think in numbers, this place will eat you up, sweetheart. The universe is all mathematics and probabilities. I come to get mellow, not to do sums, she said. 
When the bet came in, she let you place another and then another. It's no fun when someone else does it for you. That's not true at all, you said. You took her to the buffet and had chocolate biscuit pudding and smoked gold leaves while an aging, aging diva song, Tarzan Boy, to a Yamaha keyboard. Jackie complained in a London accent about how she hated Sri Lanka, living with her auntie and working mornings at the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation. How her aunt's new husband came into her room without knocking and how it creeped her out. Your father, absent since you were 15, paid for many of your failed careers. In your 20s, you studied finance for a summer and, looked and worked insurance for a winter. You left with a loathing of both games, but knowing everything you needed about the rudiments of gambling. Investment versus yield. What you put in versus what you earn. The likelihood of something er happening versus what it costs. You've never placed a bet you couldn't win, which is not the same as losing. You went in eyes open, knowing all the angles and most of the odds. The odds of winning the lottery are 1 in 8 million. The odds of dying in a car are 1 in 4,000. And a According to Mr. Kinsey, the odds of being born homo are 1 in 10. What are the odds of being born in a war-torn, not-very-nice place? <laughs> considering most of the planet lives on nothing, and considering there's never been an era of peace in all of recorded history, you'd say pretty high. You told Jackie to stop thinking red versus black and to start thinking odds. What are the chances a guy next to you has a jack? or that the dealer will draw a five, or that everyone believes your hand is better than theirs. She got drunk and passed out at the roulette table. When you volunteered to put her in a taxi, the bouncers gave you a wink. She couldn't tell you her address, so you took her home. When she woke on your couch, you gave her a lecture about going out alone and getting drunk. She was too busy staring at your photographs to listen. These photographs could get you killed, she said. So could getting drunk at casinos, you replied. She went home with you for many nights after, while your ama, while your ama snored down the hallway, and sat up drinking wine, listening to the top of the. You sat up drinking wine, listening to the top of the pops on your shortwave, and talking ends and odds. What are the chances that the slaughter will end? That you'd be caught in a bomb? That the voices in your head can survive your death? What are the chances that a woman could walk down a Colombo street without being called Nungi, darling, or slut? What are the chances that Colombo would get a nightclub that opened past 2am? Usually, usually, when you brought women home, which was about as frequent as a free and fair election, <laughs> the women, usually drunk, expected you to pour them and rub lips against them and got offended when you didn't. This one didn't seem to care. You have a girlfriend? She asked, her eyes giving you a squint. No one that matters, you said. But plenty that don't. She did a strange laugh. There was something brazen about her, something odd. Something beyond the makeup and the hair and the ill-fitting dress. She spoke with the squeak of a child, but with the authority of a tyrant. If you want me to come back, you need to stop calling me girl or sister or sweetheart. You have a boyfriend? I'm saving myself for my wedding night, so don't get any ideas. That's fine with me, girl. First, you became her gambling buddy, then her agony aunt, then her clubbing partner. You told her how to handle the creeps at work and the aunts at home and her new uncle visiting her room without knocking. Always be cheerful, cheerful, but never put up with crap and put a lock on that door. In exchange, she kept you from thinking of the things you'd photographed in the war zone. 
She got you into parties at embassies and hotels thrown by rich Colombo International School classmates, among whom were confused boys with perfect skin. Jackie didn't mind that you disappeared from parties. Jackie didn't mind if you talked to boys, though she hated you talking to girls. And Jackie didn't care if you didn't touch her. On some evenings, Jackie would inflict her music on you, off-key singers mewling over tedious rhythms. <laughs> She'd drown you in Chardonnay and suggest zany schemes like moving to a hippie colony in Aragum Bay or staging an exhibition of all the photos under your bed. It was she who came up with the genius plan of becoming flatmates. The beauty of studying odds is knowing which cards are worth betting on and knowing that freak occurrences happen every day while no one watches. You can shuffle a pack this minute and deal a sequence that has never occurred in the history of all humanity. By your estimation, you have more chance of dying in a bomb blast in cosmopolitan Colombo than in deep as dark as Jaffna. Because, at least in the war zone, you knew which direction the bombs were flying and who was dropping them. There was surprisingly little scandal for an unwed 22-year-old sharing a flat with two unwed males in their 30s. Her aunties were happy to relinquish the burden, and your own armour, as usual, did not give a flying toss. <laughs> as for Jackie's parents in London were concerned, she was sharing with her cousin and his friend, and Uncle Stanley would overlook proceedings. Her friends thought you and Jackie were dating, a rumour that neither wished to confirm nor quell. Being a couple gave you a chaperone and a shield, whichever room you chose to enter. You may not like my cousin, she said. The guy's super posh. Is he fun? We don't talk, she said. You don't have to talk to him. He's a lawyer who plays rugby and dates bimbets. He's shallow and dull. We'll make a great politician. For the first month, you were hardly at home. You were photographing captured arsenals for Major Raja Udagampola, covering the Arunda Dapura bomb blast with Andy McGowan from Newsweek and beating your losing streak at Pegasus Casino. You didn't meet the cousin until your second month, and when you did, there was little more than small talk. You recognised him from school, though he had no idea who you were. Then you noticed how he smelled after returning from a swim, the rhythm of his walk, how his shorts clung to his hips, and how he looked at you from the corner of his eye. You sat in the lounge with windows that overlooked Gale Face Green, watched crows, and daydreamed of the landlord's son. The flat belonged to Stanley... Darmandrin, Minister for Youth Affairs, MP for Calcutta, lone Tamil in cabinet, owner of numerous favours. Owner of numerous favours. His son, of course, was Dylan Darmandrin, former swimmer, athlete and ruggerite, old boy of St. Joseph College and love of your short, sad life. Hmm. What do you make of that, Kath? I want to read it. And there's a reference to crows as well. I know, which is definitely our... um, our theme, theme for the, for the week. day, yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds really good. I definitely want to read that. I really like the descriptions and the, um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. Already. Yeah. I wonder if that was the first chapter. Does it say? Yeah, I, th- I feel like it was Feels fairly like early on. It doesn't say which chapter, but fairly and early. Um, as you may have noticed, I did censor a couple of bits of it as well I for uh, Radio Blue Mountains. So quickly, who was that again, and what was the title for anyone listening? So the Seven Moons of Mali Almeida mm-hmm. and Shihan Karuna Tilaka is the name of the author, his second novel. And we'll write that on our podcast we as will. well, if you're not sure of the so spelling. It does sound fascinating. We're going to get some copies of the bookshop. Um, yeah, I'm so winner of the, the Booker thing. Prize, congratulations. Yep. 
huge deal. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how often Sri Lankan authors would have won the Booker Prize. It's great. Yeah, though, I don't think it'd be many. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, all right, we're out of time. You've been listening to Paperback Writer. Thank you very much. Well, we'll see you. So remember, next week is Madison's Poetry, um, which is absolutely worth a listen to, and then we'll be back the week after that with our show, Paperback Writer, All Things Books. Yep. We're open uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday this weekend down in Hazelbrook at Naughty Studios. Come by and rant about books with us and, <laughs> yeah, join in on the puns. Yep. <laughs>